Good afternoon, America. I am, man, I am so excited about my guest today. Uh, a gentleman who you may have heard me tease this on our, uh, on our intro uh, video. He came in live to my home many, many times, many, many nights. My wife and I would, would sit up watching John McKay as part of the Dallas area WFAA newscast. And now I'm so humbled and honored to call him a friend. And he is a Carry the Load uh, board member. He, carried, he was an MC for Carry the Load for many years. And now John is very retired and very happy doing so. But this is when I get to spend time with him. So John McKay, <laughs> welcome to Lessons from the Front. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's good seeing you. You, you look like you're in some a nice area out there, just relaxing, enjoying life. I am in a nice area, and here it is, the middle of November, and I'm in Beaumont, Texas, which is just east of uh, Houston, and it's still kind of warm. You can't see it, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sweating a little bit underneath all of this. But it is gorgeous. Yeah, I'm in, out I'm here. In, it's not as humid. I'm in Colorado We're, Springs, visiting my dad, uh, who's a retired Air Force uh, veteran. And uh, let me just say, it's, it's not it's not cold, but I I live in in near Brownsville, <laughs> and so to me, what we're getting in Colorado Springs right now, it's, it's not cold, but it's on the cool side. Well, it's definitely cooler than Brownsville or Beaumont. Oh, yeah. There is no question. Uh, so okay, so you you mentioned that you're visiting your dad. Your your dad is a United States Air Force veteran. Um, you grew up in the United States Air Force community, really, you know, like I like to tell people, whether you had the uniform on directly or indirectly, you serve. And, and yeah, so you, yeah. you speak fondly of your days, uh, you know, growing up. And, and we certainly want to talk about, uh, about that side of things and what it was like to grow up as a quote unquote Air Force brat. Um, but how is your dad doing these days? Uh, he's, he's 91. He probably weighs 145 pounds. I mean, he's in magnificent condition. Uh, he's got a lot of veteran friends here that uh, that he associates with. Uh, he's you know, he's 91. Uh, he's still got some. He's got some a few cognitive difficulties, but he's the guy's hanging in there. I mean, it, I have cameras all around his house, you know, to make sure everything's okay. And I notice in the winter time. Uh, I, I can hear noise on the camera and I look out early in the morning. He's outside shoveling his own snow. And I tell him, look, I, I, we can get somebody to shovel you. No, 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 no. I'm shoveling my own snow. And uh, that's the kind of guy he is. I mean, he's just uh, a, a go-getter and uh, always believed in doing as much as you can. And he's, he's, he's still pushing. So your, your father, uh, again, like we talked about, I believe he retired from the Air Force. Yeah. Um, and so how many years in total, uh, service? He was in the air force from 1950 to 1978. Uh, okay. and yeah, so 28 years, he was in, he was in strategic air command. We went over one, we went overseas one time and, uh, the base where we were was the safety base. He, uh, so he was part of the 16th air force at that time, but, uh, yeah, most of the time at Strategic Air Command, um, I mean, I can remember, I was born at Chinook Air Force Base, which is no more. Uh, then we went to Mountain Home, then we went to Offutt, then we went to Torahone, 
and we went back to Offit, and then we went back to Torhome, and then I went to college, and uh, they moved back to, to Offit, and he retired there and became a, uh, and then moved out here to Colorado to become a school district administrator. So do you remember anything other than the military? I mean, I, I'm assuming that, that uh, you know, if you were born around that time, uh, I mean, you said he graduated in 1946, if I remember correctly, from our previous conversation, which means he would have entered about uh, uh, 22 years of age. Um, and I'm assuming you were probably born shortly thereafter, if not before. So is it all you ever knew? He, 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 was, he graduated from high school two years early. Uh, he, oh. He was, uh, yeah, he, he was, he was the, the valedictorian. And Aliceville, Alabama. But when he graduated in 1946, uh, there weren't many opportunities for him. Uh, and uh, so from 46 to 50, uh, he often was in college. He did, did some work, but he decided ultimately in 1950 to go uh, to the Air Force. And I'll tell you, that's one of the best decisions he ever made because uh, the Air Force. In the Air Force, he got a he got a bachelor's degree, he got a master's degree. Uh, he uh, really he was an administrator. He ended up uh, he ended up in personnel at Strategic Air Command headquarters. Before that, he was the senior enlisted advisor, I think it's called for our 16th Air Force uh, out of Torhon. Torhon is no there's no longer any Americans at that base. Uh, it's now the European Satellite Center or something like that. Uh, but uh, now he'll tell you, I mean, the military changed his, uh, the direction of his life. Uh, and he's, the work that he did in the military, I mean, I can remember, I, I don't remember General LeMay, but I do remember General Powers, who was, this, who was the Strategic Air Command uh, Chief and if you've ever been on the Offit base, you know, he's got his own house. In those days, he had his own house. And out in front of that house uh, was uh, a guard with a blue beret and a pearl-handled pistol, 24-7. And uh, yeah, the rain, it didn't matter what it was. Uh, there was somebody in front of that. I mean, I, I will never forget that. I also remember he always, in his staff car, he always had this uh, walkie-talkie that he took with him. These are pictures of my dad in his retirement uh, that, that you're looking at right now. My mother, my sister, my sister has uh, since passed away. I, I should tell you, we'll probably talk about this a little later. My mother was the military wife of the year for the U.S. Air Force in Europe when I was a senior in high school. So when you talk really? about- Really? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, that was a big deal. When you talk about um, uh, the military wife of the year for you safety. <laughs> for for sure. what? You know, you know how it works. USAFE is United States Armed for Air Force in Europe. So she was for for all the Europe for all the uh, command Air Force bases in Europe. She was the military wife of the year, and I mean she did. All, I mean she was always volunteering, always doing things. I cannot remember. Talk about uh, traditions. I cannot remember when we were overseas ever once having a holiday dinner where we didn't invite some single airman into the house for dinner. I, I can't remember that. Uh, <laughs> it's a fun story. I, 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 I like chitlins. And my mother make, would make chitlins. And when we would invite an airman over, if he was from the South, 
they'd eat almost all the chitlins. And I would sit there and look at her and go, yeah, why are you doing so, this? I mean, the guy's going to come in, he's going to eat, he's going to eat all the good food. And she would look hey, at only say, invite the guys from know? the North who don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> well, she, she would tell me, you know how far away his mama is? And I said, uh, yes, ma'am. Because for us, it was always yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, but my mother firmly believed uh, that it was the obligation of um, senior uh, officers and and, NC, and senior NCOs to make sure that their that their young troops are overseas uh, were taken care of. And I I'm not kidding. I mean, if if we had pie and we're, and there was one piece left, you better not reach for it before the guest reached for it. Because that was that was her thing. Oh, it would, I'll tell you what's funny about that is, you know, I had a uh, kind of a reunion of sorts with with my um, the guys that I went through all my training with uh, this weekend. And we were talking about uh, a lot of the old times and smoking and joking about, you know, this, that and the other. Well, one of the guys uh, lived nearby where, we, uh, you know, we went to OCS, which was in Quantico, Virginia. His family lived in Burton, Virginia. And so his mom, um, you know, and then we would have, uh, you know, Libo on on uh, like Sundays for I don't know, five hours or whatever. And so he's home um, about, I don't know, three weeks before uh, Thanksgiving. And his mom says, are you coming home for Thanksgiving? And he says, well, you know, I mean, I'm assuming we're going to have it off. And she says, okay, well, are you going to bring anybody? He's like, mom, uh, there's like 50 guys in the squad bay. So, you know, I can't just like invite one. She's like, bring them all, bring them all. We We were laughing about this the other day because they were also a military family. And we couldn't all go home for Thanksgiving. We could yep. there. I mean, there was one guy, he's like, man, I specifically remember sitting down. I had my own turkey. And trust me when I say <laughs> we ate like we, you know, like we hadn't eaten forever. But no, you're right. That, that's the great life, the great side of life of the military oh, yeah. family. We look out for our own. We take care of our own. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, it's, uh, I, I can't tell you how much of it. Having lived on military bases until I was 18, I can't tell you how much of a shock it was when I first went to college. My folks were still living overseas, and I went to I went to Creighton, and there was not this camaraderie. Uh, don't get me wrong; uh, there, there are clearly problems on military bases. I'm not saying they're not, uh, right? But there clearly was a difference. Uh, between how civilians interacted, this is 1972, and how uh, people were interacting with where I lived and where, where I had lived. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I definitely felt that that, that closeness. Uh, some of it's kind of humorous because, you know, when you're, when you're a civilian, you call for a plumber, and when you live in a military base, you call for a civil engineer, you know, CE, but, uh, it's just this general feeling. Who probably overfixed the plumbing at that point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, because they don't want to come back. You know, they, they don't want to written up. You know, I, I was amazed. I remember we hadn't been, I, we, we had been out of the country for, we landed in Spain the night that uh, Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. So, I mean, we just ran off the plane. You know, we were watching, watching all that. From that point until seven, August of 72, see, I was out of the country. So the Vietnam War was going on. Uh, but I can honestly remember uh, coming back and looking at people's lawns and saying, man, these lawns aren't cut. <laughs> yeah. and, and not realizing that, well, you know, 
there's nobody to write you up if you're living in base. You know, if you're living in base housing, you don't keep your lawn up. It used to be. Uh, you not only you get told right. about it. Oh, oh, in the, in, in the old days, yeah, it was. Uh, they they would go around and make sure we lived in Cape Part and we lived. First time we lived it off, but we lived on base, Wary Housing, I think it was called. And uh, but they were very sick. You're, they all put, they all had a sense of pride being in speech of character name. But there was a definite feeling among people that, uh, pardon me, that you know we got, we got a, the whole world's looking at us. Uh, so it was that way when I was a kid. But when I became a teenager and the Vietnam War was going on. Uh, and most people have forgotten this. A lot of people weren't fond of the military. They yeah, didn't, uh, and that's another thing I didn't get when I went to college because uh, they didn't make policy. You know, my dad didn't make policy. You, 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 they did what they were told to do. Uh, so uh, there's lots of things that go through your mind when, when you're a kid growing up on a base. So, uh, and I want to come back to that in a little bit because I want to talk about your experiences on base specifically, but. So your your dad graduates high school in 1946. Two years earlier as a valedictorian. Obviously, yeah. not a dumb guy. And so no. now you look at where things were at that time. And so at that time, you know, the war is just World War II is just ending. So all the servicemen are coming back home. They're rotating back. Yeah. If where had it been two years earlier, he was either going into the military or there was certainly some kind of of opportunity there because. Um, there was a plethora of, biz- or of, of work opportunities. So now in 46, he doesn't have those same opportunities and he's forced to really just kind of go out into the workforce, I'm assuming. But contrast that period for your father versus 1972, a man of color is now, I mean, just naturally you go to college because that, that's a, that's a yeah. pretty big difference. Oh, it, it's, it's a huge difference because, uh, you know, he, he didn't have it. They didn't have much of any opportunities in those days. Uh, if, if, you were, if you were black and you lived in the, in, in the South, uh, you, know, you were pretty much going to do whatever your parents did. Uh, but, uh, and again, his, his parents his were sharecroppers, right? And his first, yeah, his parents were sharecroppers. But not once have I ever, have I ever heard them uh, dwell on bad things that happened to them. I mean, the things that slip out every now and then, the things that they dealt with. But uh, their thing was always, you know what? Uh, I, there's nothing I can do about yesterday. Uh, but so we're just going to try to move and make and make tomorrow not like yesterday. So he had, in, ter- in terms of your question, he had no real opportunities where he was. I do believe he went up to Chicago for a little while, um, looking for opportunities. But ultimately, the opportunity came from being in the military. He didn't. Number one was opportunity. Number two, money. Didn't have the money to to, to go to to school. Wanted to, but didn't have the money to do do that. Um, But went into the military and uh, ended up in the Strategic Air Command, working in the in the the headquarters building. So was there ever a doubt that John McKay was going to go to college? I mean, we're, I'm assuming that your parents said, listen, whether you want to or not, son, that oh, is yeah. where you are going. Oh, oh, oh yeah. That, that, we didn't, my sister and I, 
we always knew that what we were going to be the year after we graduated high school, which was on a camp, college campus somewhere. And uh, and you also we also knew that uh, they were going to be checking on us. You know, my my first semester at Creighton, uh, I didn't do I didn't do I I was in the the uh, honor society in high school, but Creighton, you know, the Jesuits, I I didn't do that well the first semester. <laughs> and it was because I just didn't know how to study. And I, I, I tell you, this really, the story that really still resonates with me. One of the Jesuits, uh, Father McCauley, I, I, he, he saw me in the library. And he, hey, how you doing? I thought, thought I'm doing okay, but uh, you know, this is kind of hard. And he looked at, I remember him look at me and said, well, what's the problem? And I said, well, you know, I'm, up, I'm here every day and I'm making like C's and a couple B's. And, uh, and the and the D, one D. And he looked at me and he said, Where are your people from? And I said, Well, my father's family's from uh, Alabama, my mother's family's from uh, Champaign, Illinois. And he looked at him looking and he said, Do you think that all the sacrifices that they have made for you to, to be here, do you think that your efforts here are worthy? Uh, are, are you doing a worthy effort of trying to? Uh, make their sacrifices worth it. And I said, well, no. He said, well, look, then you know what you got to do, don't you? Uh, and from there on, I, I made great grades. <laughs> but I, I, he, I he put somebody, it, oh, yeah. put it he, in perspective he, he really quick. There, oh, yeah. Said, You're sitting up here whining and complaining when you've got opportunities that they would have paid for. And, uh, and I, I, never, I never forgot that. Never forgot that one. He's passed away now. But... Uh, it, some of them, some of the Jesuits could be, they could be pretty blunt in those days, which is okay because um, you know, uh, I, I needed to hear it. Blunt is a nice way of saying it. As another <laughs> Jesuit educated man, they, uh, they they know how to put things in a way that they cuts right to the oh, chase. Yeah. That's for oh, sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, and so, how did you end up at Creighton? Because my my dad got his uh, while he was in the military, he got his bachelor's degree from the from what was then the University of Omaha. It's now the University of Nebraska, Omaha. Uh, and he liked how he, he liked the reputation of, of Creighton and, and the Jesuits as educators. Uh, and I, I wanted to go to Humboldt <laughs> Humboldt State University in California. Yeah, that that's a seventeen eighteen year old kid. And say, hey, man, I love California. Looks like they're having all the fun. No, I. I'm not spending all that money for you to go to college and enjoy yourself. You're going to learn. And he, I think he had an idea of where he was going to be after the military. Um, so that's why I ended up, that's how I ended up at Creighton. I didn't, I wasn't too fond of the first semester, um, but in terms of education, done just, just done. give you plenty of uh, opportunity to have to, to grow in yourself. Really good. And I, I got to tell you, Nebraska in the wintertime is probably one of the oh. coldest places I have ever been. <laughs> and I've been to Iceland, <laughs> and, and I don't think it's, uh, okay. it holds a candle. I, I agree with you 100%. You know, my friends in Nebraska always ask me, you ever think about retiring and moving here? I said, are you insane? I, said, no, I, I love the people in Nebraska. Uh, even though our team isn't doing that great, I'm still a Husker fan. Uh, I love Runza's. Which is a sandwich that you can get in Nebraska that's like cabbage and uh, uh, and, a, and a hoagie roll. Uh, so I, deep down, I'm a Nebraskan, but I can't take that winter. So I moved as far south as I could. So that's why we're that's why we're down where we are. 
and that is as far south in the United States as you can go. So, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. but God, what a, you know, what a wonderful, wonderful place. You know, as you know, I've got uh, a lot of business down there and, and the people are just, I mean, I just love it. I mean, culturally, it's just, it's a melting pot and it's just always feel comfortable, always feel welcome. And, and you know what? Maybe a lot of that has to do with, with the introduction I had to all of that in the military. So, mm-hmm. you know, given the fact that this is military appreciation, Month, military family appreciation, Month, tell me a little bit more about your experience on base. And before you answer that, I'm, I'm going to kind of preface it with this. I, one of the reasons I got out was because uh, got out of, uh, of the military, that is, is because I didn't want to personally raise a family in that environment, you know, moving all of the time. And, and now I knew a lot of guys that grew up in it and they were well-adjusted, great people. But I personally, I, I just, I, it just didn't work for me. But with all that being said, tell us about your experience. Yeah, you know, I'm glad you, I really am glad you asked me because I, I wanted to make sure uh, that we talked about that. Um, it is true that the older a young person gets, the harder it is to move with your parents to a new assignment. There isn't any question about that. By the same token, uh, you know, for, for all the people out there who are military families, uh, your kids are going to be fine because all that moving also means that your kids are exposed to a whole bunch of very different people. Uh, I mean, yes. different people. Uh, I had friends in high school who... Uh, I knew pretty well, uh, <laughs> some friends in high school who I knew pretty well, their folks didn't care for black folk, but they, my, my dad was either their boss or they knew him or that sort of thing. I mean, I, so, so, and you're not going to get that environment if you've lived, if you were born in the same town, you graduated from high school in the same town, you moved on to the same place. You're not going to get that, but you are going to get that living in the military because you're moving so much. Again, the, the problem is, when you get older, uh, it just makes it's a little harder for you to make friends. But uh, I'll give you some examples. When when I was in high school, and we moved from Offutt to Torholm, so I was going to be in the tenth grade, uh, and we weren't there two days. And I remember this kid named John Heitman, who now lives in Key West, Florida. Uh, I'm walking down the street. I didn't know anybody. And he, sa- he says, hey, you play football? Uh, I said, yeah, I play a little football. Said, Come on, we're going to play some football. I mean, I didn't know him. He didn't know me. You're just walking uh, down the street. And he, he just, just walking down. You. In fact, I was, what, there, there was a place. Torhone used to have this huge uh, housing area called, uh, called Royal Oaks. And in the middle of Royal Oaks was, was a, a little store called the, the Fruteria. And I was going to go over there to get something to drink. And, and that's where I saw him. He said, yeah, come on. Said, come on. So I went and played uh, football with him. He introduced me to everybody. Uh, and how old were you at this point? I was a 10th. I was going to be a 10th grade. Uh, so kind of about the same but, age you are in this picture uh, that we've got up right now. Is that yeah, correct? this is me. Yeah, that picture. That, I, I, okay. My mom was the military wife of the year. It was for you. U.S. Uh, Air Force in Europe, and this picture was taken. In. So I'm a senior in high school there. Uh, and okay, uh, I am that's, dying laughing here. I am dying. Was, First of all, your dad looks like you. 
But then I look <laughs> over at you. I mean, it, it, it's it's like, you know, this is a Rembrandt stage or a, uh, a Rockwell, uh, Rockefeller or whatever the Rockwell, I think, uh, stage photo. And you're looking over him like, Dad, seriously, you're going to make us just kind of yeah. pose for this? And the Afro is yeah. great, man. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had, I had quite, a, quite a big Afro. You know, he, because of his job, he, he was... He was always, 16 Air Force at the time was a, a lot in Italy. It was, it was in headquartered in Torhoe, a lot in Italy, and a lot in Turkey. So he was going a lot to Turkey and Italy. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's tough being a, it's tough being a, a teenager uh, in a home where you got some pretty strict rules. And believe me, my folks had pretty strict rules. Well, you, uh, you said your mom was every bit as strict as your dad, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. My my mother. Uh, uh, here's a great example of, of, of what my mother would do. I was in the seventh grade, and I came home and I said, uh, uh, you know, "Typical seventh grader talking a lot of trash." I said, "Hey, well, I don't understand why we don't uh, make this make uh, live our house like I mean, run our house like a democracy. I mean, that's what we're. It's America." And I remember her looking at me. She says, "Hey, come over here," and she threw open the cur curtain. So this is like 1967. She threw open the curtains and she said, you see all that, all that out there? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, Lyndon Johnson runs all that out there. I said, okay. She said, but inside this house, I am the president of the United States. She said, if Lyndon Johnson himself walks inside this house and wants a glass of water, he had better ask me before he reaches up to that cupboard. And she said, not, if the president of the United States has got to ask me for a glass of water, how much power do you think you got around this house? <laughs> I mean, that's, a, that's the kind of stuff we used to, we used to hear. You know, and she would say, you know, this is a kingdom. God gave this to your father and I. You and your sister, you're subjects. Sooner or later, you're going to get your own kingdom. But now this is our kingdom. And inside this oh, house, great. these are the rules. And, uh, you know, that, those, that's the way she was. My father. You know, she, no wonder she was the military wife of the year. Oh yeah, she. I mean, she could be. She could let you. Know. My father, with him, he. I don't ever remember him raising his voice. If he wasn't happy, he would just look at you, and you could tell by how he was looking at you that that was the end of that discussion. Uh, so he, but her, she would shout at you, and then she once she shouted at you, my father would walk in and say, "Well, why is your mother raising her voice in our house?" So, so I mean, that's the kind of stuff. That, that we had, you know, nowadays you don't hear that too much, but yeah, it was, uh, oh, it's, it it's was like if you get world. in trouble at school, you, you, uh, yep. you come home and you get in trouble again. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, my dad, his goal after the military was to be a, a school district administrator of some kind. So that's, so his degrees were in education that he got when he was in the military. And, but as a result of that, he always, he and my mother always knew every single teacher I had, uh, and what happened to me in elementary school was up until the sixth grade, I would always cut up in class until the ninth week, which is when, pardon me, the first report card went out. And my mother would look at, the, she would, they go to the parent teacher conference and she'd say, and the teacher said, well, you know, he's still making friends. And my mother looked at it and said, well, you know, he, he's not gonna be making friends anymore. And my behavior every year in the 10th week on would be perfect. <laughs> Because they were like clockwork. Me. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. And then, like I say, seventh, seventh, eighth, 
seventh and eighth and ninth grade, uh, which is junior high school, I, I started playing the drums and I liked playing the drums. Uh, and they knew that if I wanted to continue playing the drums and get a drum set, I had to keep my grades up. So that, so that probably made it easy for them. Then in uh, high school, uh, I, well, I think I went to the best high school got ever put on this earth, which is closed now. But uh, <laughs> the picture you saw was my last year of high school where they told me, you know what, you can do whatever you want to with your head. And I grew those sideburns and I grew, grew an afro. Before that, I didn't have an apple, but yeah, that's that's uh, my senior year. The year before that, my hair was uh, about as short as my dad's. <laughs> that and he used awesome. to, you know, he used to, you know, Todd, he used to cut hair when I was a little kid every Saturday night, and uh, yeah, and he, I'll just say he wasn't the best of barbers, but that hair guy cut every <laughs> Saturday night, <laughs> he didn't care, he just knew you needed oh, a haircut. That's exactly right. So growing up on a military base with parents who, I mean, y'all just had a lot of complexities, you know, given where you were stationed, given the, um, you know, the, the social climate back home. Um, I'm sure there were some difficult times. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, during, again, during the Vietnam War, um, there are people who, did, I mean, they just didn't like the military. They just did not like the military. And they, they didn't come on the base, uh, but they, and, and this isn't just in the United States. Uh, in, in Spain, too, there were certainly demonstrations against the U.S. involvement in Vietnam, that sort of thing. Uh, when I went to college, uh, my dad took me to Creighton, uh, and I remember he, he had his uniform on and people giving him some kind of nasty looks. Uh, yeah, is that all it was? Yeah. Just nasty looks. I mean, did, did uh, you experience? And because you know, we, we no, talk about no. Vietnam, and and you know, we 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 try to to do a good job with and carry the load of welcoming home uh, Vietnam yeah. veterans because they they really didn't get that like they deserve. No, did no. you experience anything beyond the dirty looks when you uh, when your dad was? I almost I almost got into a fight with somebody one time. Uh, you know just saying some derogatory things about, uh, not my dad person, but the fact that he had, in the, he was in uniform, had friends in the uniform. And, uh, you know, it, it, it certainly made my transition from high school to, to college a little more difficult because I, I didn't want to be around people who were just trashing, uh, trashing people. It's interesting, you know, we had returning veterans at Creighton at the time, and they were low key. I mean, you, nowadays they have veterans organizations on campus. That's, that, if, if it was happening then, I, I'm not aware of it. They just wanted to get back, get their degree, move on with their life. Uh, and they would say, uh, although I do remember being in a class and uh, the guy who was sitting next to me, I think his name was Miller, his last name was Miller, but he had been, he'd come back from Vietnam like a year earlier. And there was a discussion in the class it was a modern history class and uh, people were talking about Vietnam. I remember looking at him and he was just shaking his head and I could just see that he was saying to himself, you guys don't have a clue to what the real world is like. Uh, so yeah, I, I, uh, I, I love living on a military base. I'm the first one to tell you that I'm probably more conservative about some things than other people are. 
but I'm uh, also on some issues probably more liberal than some people. Uh, but it's the well, benefit. That's good. That of, means you're balanced. Yeah, the benefit of base living again is that you're. I think you're exposed to a lot of different uh, people, a lot of different ideas, uh, and if you're if you're listening and not just all the time talking, then I think uh, you walk away in pretty good shape. So if you were to kind of take your life in the military, mm -hmm. uh, living on base, whether it's at home or overseas, is there one memory that stands out to you more than anything else? Well, I, you know, I, I think as we said at the very beginning, I, I, I hope it's still true. The military people, when I was a kid, military families, back each other up. Um, and if you went, when you went into a, think of my mindset, when you had it, went to a new quarters, you moved to a new base, uh, people left, I know this sounds minor, people left behind toilet paper and they left behind light bulb, extra light bulbs and, uh, and you had a, a sponsor and people came across the street to welcome you, who, who you never knew. Uh, because the way it works, you know, for the kids, the way it works is uh, the first year, you're getting to know everybody. The second year, you're having a great time. The third year, you're worried because you know at the end of the third year, you're getting ready to move someplace else. So you know right away, if you're a military kid, if you're going to make friends, you better make them quick because you may not, you may not see them in, in four or five years. Uh, luckily for us, we kept moving back and forth. But I, my friends, I think that I cherish uh, the most our military kids. Uh, uh, I'm not going to tell you it was always perfect. Well, uh, we had a neighbor who's uh, we, we, Thorhold, the on-base housing where we lived for a time was all uh, duplexes. And we had a neighbor who lived on the other side of duplex who just could not stand black folks. <laughs> but, you know, military is all you had. You just had to keep them up close and take it. Uh, well, then my father got promoted uh, to a rank above her husband. He got promoted chief master sergeant. And uh, she just, I guess, she just couldn't handle that. Uh, so told us, we were told, she was told, told us, my sister, you can't come in my yard anymore. Well, interestingly, uh, I can remember all those neighbors. Uh, I won't tell you their name, but the neighbors on the other side of them were the Attaways. The, on the other side of them were the Trujillos. On the other side of them were the, the Scalas. On the other side of them were the Tunnies. Uh, all those neighbors who were all white told their kids, you know, you can't, if they can't walk in her yard, their yard, you can't walk in their yard. And, uh, you know, that, that may sound minor, but at the time, Oh no, uh, that's, uh, that's not they, minor at all. They, they didn't have, they didn't have to, they didn't have to put, you know, put, get into that fight, but they did. They said, no, no, we're not going to put up with this. So those are the kinds of things that I took away from. Uh, See, I, I think I, what I draw out of that, John, is um, is the accountability that we should all have towards our fellow human being. You know, and and there there are, you know, I mean, I, somebody was telling me a story the other day about something that happened on a uh, about a, a I think it was a New York subway, and how you know some oh, the, the some woman young who was assaulted young, or something like that. Yeah, well, I, I think the, the dad, there was a dad with, with two girls and he wasn't wearing a mask or something like that. And um, some young lady 
sitting there was mouthing off to him because he didn't have his mask on. And he basically, you know, said, you know, walked over and said, say that again. If you say that again, and of course, you know, she said it again and he smacked her and knocked her like her head into the pole. And, and everybody's just kind of going on about their business. Like I'm not going to get involved, you know, and, and regardless of who's wrong and who's right on something like they never should have gotten to that point. Somebody should have had the smarts to step in and say, Hey lady, back off, sir, you know, calm down. But what you're talking about to me is, is, is the beauty of the military in that regard. You got one person who's being an idiot. I mean, let's just, let's just call it like it is. They're being an idiot because, you know, their husbands have the same, the, 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 the same challenges ahead of them, the same life and death decisions. And at the end of the day, their blood is going to bleed the same color. And that's where you want to, that's the hill you want to die on. So the fact that all of these other people left and right of it are basically saying, okay, you're outcasting yourself. I love that. I mean, I love that. And that's what yeah. I think a lot of people need to understand about the military is, yeah, we got some stupidity, but we police it pretty well inside our own ranks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they do it. You know, it, cause I, I, when I tell that sort of people say, well, you know, uh, there've been, uh, Racism in the, in the military. I said, "Oh yeah, I, I I didn't see my first black officer until I was in junior high school, and he was a lieutenant colonel. He was a chaplain, uh, a sack chaplain, I remember. But uh, that was the '60s. I asked you, what, what's happened since then? Uh, I mean, I I, I would put." Uh, the improvements in terms of uh, relations in the military up against what I see in the civilian world any day of the week, any day of the week. Uh, and Absolutely. some of that has to, you know, some of that has to do with uh, one of the things that I did learn uh, living on military bases was loyalty is an important thing and, and, and loyalty to friends is an important thing. Uh, you know, we do all, there's all these movies they talk about, well, you know, these guys, they, uh, they, they, they got in the military and they, they, were, they defended their country and they did, and I say, you know, that's true, they did that, but you know, they were also defending the person who was next to them. I mean, Absolutely. That, that's, that is a, every kid who I know in the military walked away from living on bases understanding that, that, and that there is something that links us uh, that maybe isn't in the civilian world. Because there are some people, you know, again, during the Vietnam, we say, well, there's some people who just don't like us. Well, that's okay. You know, that's okay. We like us and, and we'll be just fine. Yeah. So, you, how in the world did you end up in, uh, you know, in picking journalism? I mean, you're, you're a huge music buff. You, you played the drums, as you mentioned. I know, I mean, you've got, uh, is it Louis Armstrong on your on your license plate? I mean, I, or maybe it's just oh, a... Oh, no. It, yeah, my license plate is... Blind uh, Lemon Jefferson. Uh, it's, it's Love Texas music is what it's... It's, a, it's the famous... It's okay. Famous, uh, but, uh, yeah, oh, no, I ended up playing the drum because um, I think... Because my, my mom, my mom used to play a lot of good music. My dad, 
uh, my, my dad was always a serious guy. You know, I mean, he was just always him was always education that sort of thing. But I, I like music. Uh, I and I particularly like the drums. Having lived in Spain, uh, I like classical music. I like the classical guitar, and um, it just I, I think it just naturally became something that I that I got into. And I had some friends in, in high school who played guitar and some other instruments, and we played together, played in some clubs. So good. So why didn't you follow that? How, how did you end up getting uh, you know getting on oh, TV? Man, you, 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 <laughs> You can go broke and hungry real quick trying to be a musician. <laughs> All that, you know, I will say one guy who used to be in a band I was in, uh, Robert Solomon, is in is in Colorado here. Uh, he still performs. He's uh, now has his own band and he's pretty successful. Um, there's a guy who I went to school with named Bill Cashman, who I think owns a music studio in Arizona. Uh, so, I mean, a lot of the guys, they did those things. I, I, I got into television uh, in American Forces Network Spain. I was a, 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 an intern while I was in high school. And did, it was not a paid internship, you know, but my attitude was, you know, I, I wanted to, I was more fascinated by the radio than I was by television. Uh, and I would have worked there. I told them, you don't have to pay me. Just, just let me come in here. And so they let me come in there. I... Uh, they, they showed me basic editing, uh, and when I got to, and so that kind of whetted my appetite. By the time I got to Creighton, uh, I started becoming more interested in television. I hadn't, wa you know, in high school, I didn't watch television. The whole, I think I watched when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, and I watched the Apollo 13 rescue. That's it. We didn't watch any other television. And, and so when I came back to the United States, you know, people were saying things like, hey, man, you see Wild Wild West, or you see Star Trek? What's that? I didn't. I didn't know what those were. Really? Because we, yeah, didn't didn't have a clue. And, and for, you know, now, if you're overseas, they probably have TV and that sort of thing. But we didn't miss it. I I cannot honestly remember saying to myself, "Man, I wish we had television." And I mean, I lived over the third third of my life before I went to college. So. You know, for me, so, so was, did you know you were going to be in journalism when you went to college? I mean, was that was that the goal yeah. all along was to, to be a news anchor? Yeah, I, uh, I knew that I was interested in when I first got to college, I was interested in radio documentaries. Uh, and then pretty quick because I hadn't seen TV. And so but pretty quickly got interested in television and television news. Uh, and then I got an internship. A paid internship working at a TV station in Omaha, WWT. And then when I graduated, uh, I got a job working there for seven and a half years and uh, working in uh, in news and loved it, love it ever since. Yeah, I, I will say this. Uh, in those days, the goal was not to advance yourself or some political viewpoint. It was to say. This is what happened in the world. You make up your own mind about what. And nowadays, right. a lot of what you see is, hey, this is what happened. And this is what we think about it. Uh, and I'm, that's not me. I just have never. I, I, I think a man and woman old enough to put food on the table for their kids is old enough to uh, make decisions about what they think the direction they want the country to go. Do, do you feel like that's more prevalent on the cable news uh, network oh, yeah. versus local oh, yeah. news? Because I, I don't. 
I mean, I absolutely see that personally on the cable news network. In fact, I, there, I don't know that there's, uh, there's one that I feel like I can trust over another. Um, in fact, you know, another story about this weekend, I was, I was talking to a buddy of mine who uh, is with one of our uh, uh, high level um, uh, intelligence agencies. And he was telling me how, how crazy it is when a story comes out and, and they get it before it, it gets aired. And they know all the details of it. They'll turn on all the different cable news networks and just laugh at how off oh, yeah. the rails different the facts oh, yeah. are presented. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the thing that I think most, most, not just TV, but most journalists are starting to realize is, you know, it's, what it is, it's information. And information is a tool. It can also be used as a weapon, uh, a very dangerous weapon. Uh, oh, good point. So, you know, I, I, I have always believed that my, my so, well, I'm not at home, but my, my first media books were from Denfo's Department the Defense Information School. Uh, and and I, I, I bet I've read those things 10 times. Uh, but I honest have always felt that, inf- that media stories are information and information is a weapon. Uh, and, and if you're not careful, uh, what you do is uh, you create some more problems for yourself. For example, uh, just because something is accurate doesn't mean that it's true. Uh, you know, this fact may be accurate, that fact may be accurate, that fact, but the way we put them together and analyze them may not lead us to the truth. And that's what we're, that's the problem that we're having now. The cable, here's the easiest way for me to put it. We have gone from uh, watch this to watch me. And that's a, oh, that's a yes. bad thing to me. You know, that, that's, a, that, that's a bad thing. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some very good journalists out there still doing some good work. Uh, but when I watch people kind of insert, either insert themselves or listen for little words that they say or how they say, I'm like, come on, man, you know. I, so I, I pay all the bills I, in this house. Yeah, and and I and I I I understand what you're saying, and and I, I think your your choice of words there could not be more accurate. It really. I think a lot of, of what's going on right now is the information is being used as a weapon. It's being used to uh, to elicit a certain emotion rather than just uh, present the information. Yeah. Um, did you ever find yourself, you know, when y'all were growing up, uh, you know, during the Vietnam uh, time and you had to go out off base on occasion, did you ever find a situation where a journalist put a microphone in front of you or somebody came up and was asking questions and you felt like they were trying to uh, distort the truth or, or, you know, get that gotcha moment for them. Did you ever have to deal with that? Uh, let me, let me think about that for a minute. I, I can remember being interviewed a couple of times, but I, knowing, knowing me, my response would have probably been, I, I would almost never say no comment. I'd probably say something like, you you have to ask my dad or something like that is how I would have responded. <laughs> when I was, uh, when I was, uh, uh, I'm trying to think. I, I, I've been at, you know, I, I've been interviewed by, as a reporter, I've been interviewed by other reporters and I listen to how they ask the question. And if I think that it's a pointed question, we'll say to them, you know, I think what you meant to say to me is this. 
uh, or or I or there, there was yeah, there was one time when I said to someone, look, if 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 what you're looking for is this answer, uh, well then that's a good question, but that's that's not the, that's not the question. That's not how I feel. So I think you just yeah. you, know, you have to be very you have to be very careful. I, I'm really touchy about the mil about military stories because part of the reason that I like being a reporter was I got in in 76 of so the Vietnam War is over and I got sick and tired of every time I saw a story on TV and it involved a, a, a veteran if there was a, a, some violence they would say well you know he was a Vietnam veteran <laughs> well, what's that got to do with anything you know I mean I, I have plenty of them so uh, I, that has always been something that's kind of really gotten under my craw these um, images that people try to to project of the folks in the oh I'll give you another good example when uh, something happened in my last couple of years at work and it's on the military base and someone had a, a, a gun and and I remember someone said well good they won't last long because you know the military people just go out and and, and shoot them I said you know. People don't walk around military bases armed all the time. You know, those weapons are secure. And they did not know that. Uh, but this is a person who is going to be talk talking to several hundred thousand people. Uh, and I, you know, I, I want people to have the right. Again, I'm not going to make excuses for people who do bad things. But by the same token, right. uh, I don't want you giving out information that I know good and well is not true. Now, well, it makes sense. It, no, it, it absolutely does, and it, you know, and it triggered another thought from my you know, time I had uh, with these fellows this weekend because a couple of them are law enforcement uh, agents, and um, you know, there's there has begun um, to be, and I think it's starting to swing back a little bit, but there has begun a kind of a, a belief that um, that they didn't want people from the military serving now. Uh, you know, with a gun and a badge because they're quote unquote too trigger happy. And, you know, there's, there's a, it's a lack of education. It's a laugh, lack of information. And I think it really kind of, uh, you know, dovetails off of what you're talking about. And, and it also uh, is very much in line with what happened, you know, and really, I mean, the Vietnam started just a, a cascade of, of reporting, I think, you know, and I'm, this is a layman here. Uh, but, you know, it just seemed like there were more and more opportunities that got you moments, uh, you know, like you said, you know, it, it's, it's become about the, it went from the information to it's now about me. Um, and I, I don't think that that the whole idea of they're more trigger happy because they have a gun and a badge is, is right. In fact, I think they're probably that's who you want because they're, they're a little more in tune with danger and threats. Yeah. You know, I, People who have, when I moved, first moved to Texas in 84, I remember going to a, an accident. Several teenagers were drinking and they were killed. And by the time we got there, their bodies were still there. And this is in the middle of the night. And there were people behind us, a lot of other teenagers who were, and they, they, had, they were inebriated, very drunk. And I remember them telling, screaming, turn the light on, turn the light on, let us see, you know, let us see. And, uh, and we, and we wanted to wait until they were moved away uh, 
before that happened. And one of the troopers looked at me and he said, he said, why don't you turn the light on and just let them see what it is? And so the photographer clicked the light on and they could see what it, and I could hear them behind me just throwing up and crying and everything else. And the trooper looked at it and said, why don't you go home and think about what you just saw? I, I think that's the problem. I think I, I like, I, I want someone with some experience uh, who's, going to, who's going to have a weapon. I, I would prefer to have that. I would prefer to have someone who thinks very carefully about the, those situations that they have to draw their, their fire on. Uh, so any thought about military people being too trigger happy, I, I'm, I'm the wrong guy to, 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 to try to defend that kind of an argument. You know, your experience with, with, uh, with carry the load, um, you know, you and I have talked about it through the years and, and it's just been, um, I mean, you were very humbled to be a part of it. And, you know, again, I think oh, that yeah. just speaks to, to your character. Clinton Bruce came to the station to do an interview with someone else. Uh, and I remember thinking, you mean to tell me that people are actually walking from, uh, West Point and other parts of this country, you know, I, I thought it was great. I mean, I, I just thought that was dynamite. And so then, then they asked they asked me, we had a guy who worked at the station named Jeff Brady. Jeff was a, I think Jeff was a lieutenant in the Marine Corps. Uh, and, and but he had decided to, uh, to get out of the business. And I think he went to work in San Antonio or something like that. But I said, well, you know, we, there's no way we can that I could not be a part of this. I mean, I'll, I'll be more than happy to say, well, we're gonna send you to Washington. Uh, it's fine, no problem, uh, yeah, it's great. But when you're watching these people walking up these areas, they're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, just no, nowhere yeah, behind this bus. Plus, uh, what is that guy's name? The guy on the bus. I mean, they had the funniest rules on the bus. Uh, Come on, Dill? Yeah, Dill, yeah, Dill. Okay, he, he would have me cry and laughing. You get on the bus and Dill would say, "You have to go to the bathroom." I say, "Yeah." He's all right. And he look at you go, "No number two, <laughs> no number two in the bathroom." <laughs> you you go to I wouldn't even think of doing that. He goes, "Oh, good, good," because you're I, not going to be able to last a second beyond that. <laughs> but, well, he and, was and, consistent because he oh, gave me yeah. the same message. He is a good man. And the students were from, uh, uh, they were business students. And I remember the first time. Yeah, I, Matt, where, I was Matt, where are they from? Uh, ABAC in Tifton, Georgia. Yeah. And I, I, I was so, I, I was so, in, it felt so good to see young people who really had some, who really went out of their way to do something good about the military. And cause I, I'm looking and going, are these military kids? Are these, uh, are they veterans? No, no, they're students who just want to do the right thing. I'm like, God, God where, where, where were they in 1972? That, 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 uh, I, I think it's just great to watch them. It's just, it's just great to watch them. I've, I've got so many pictures from the different rallies go, uh, in Maryland and South Carolina, Washington, D.C. I tell you, I don't see how people can go to Arlington National Cemetery uh, and not get emotional. I mean, that every time I go, it's just you, you walk in thinking, you know, you, you put your reporter hat on, you're going, okay, 
I just got to look at this and, and cover the facts. That last 10 seconds, uh, you're looking at the royal crosses. Uh, and you know, every one of these guys thought you know, that I was worth uh, defending. So, yeah, it's no, that's, that's I, I hope I answered the, the question, but that's those are my, my yeah. first memories was uh, just good people. Oh, and, and Dill is just, he's just done. John, I, I want to thank you for, for your time today. And, and again, it, it is, I mean, I am humbled, uh, you know, by your presence. Again, I'm, I'm honored to call you a friend. I hope I can say that uh, in front of everybody, but I'm going to say it anyway. Well, I'm going to say it anyway. You know, hey, I know John McKay. I mean, he's a friend of mine. Um, but no, I, I really do appreciate uh, your time in that regard. And, and you know, it's been, it's been a lot of fun working with you on, uh, on Carry the Loads board. Uh, and we've certainly benefited from, you know, from your knowledge and input. And so what I always like to, to ask everybody when it's all said and done, um, John, who are you carrying? Oh, my goodness. I, one of my wife's brothers. Uh, is a Marine from Vietnam. And I've never seen, and he'd been, he'd been really sick and he's slowly but surely coming back. Uh, but he's uh, Juan Guzman, who, who lives in Mission, Texas, uh, or my brother-in-law, who, uh, who I'm carrying. I mean, I've never seen anybody come that close to dying and still come back. I mean, that, that guy's tough. So that's who it is for me. Good, good guy, good guy. He, he, and don't get me wrong, hell, oh, Juan can cut, he can cut you out in a minute if he's not, he's not happy about something <laughs> you do. But, uh, but uh, he, 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 to me, symbolizes uh, what, what being tough really is. So that's me. So, sorry. Awesome. No, no, gosh, no, please. I, I, I love the emotion. It's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's what makes you who you are to me, makes you real. So, John McKay, uh, thank you very much for your time today, sir. And, uh, you know, for, for everybody out there, I, I just want you to remember that this is Military Family Appreciation Month. It is a tough life, but it is a good life. And uh, ask somebody about it, because if, uh, if they've lived on a base at any point in their lives, they're going to have some good information. And that's what we need to do is open up our, uh, our eyes to all kinds of good information out there. So, John, thanks again, sir. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Appreciate it.